Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of No Limit Selling. And today we're going to be talking to Clint Babcock. He is an expert in negotiations, in training. He's an author. We're going to talk about his book. Clint, welcome to the program. Oh, hey, thanks for inviting me. Thrilled to be here. So Clint, once in a while, I go to negotiate something and I know exactly how this negotiation is going to go. I'm going to be freaking amazing. They're going to agree with me. And then when you get to actually do it, the whole world changes when you're like, what's that quote from Mike Tyson? Everyone's got a plan till you get punched in the mouth. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, it happens a lot. And, and, you know, the good news is you had a plan. Um, the, probably the thing that happens a lot of that is we don't put ourselves on the other side and take the time to really think about, okay, what's this person's, um, we, we call it understanding the difference between somebody's position versus their mission. Sometimes they'll just take a position, but what are they really trying to accomplish? And, and that's Umar, that's things that just gets us off our game. If we're not trying to anticipate those and have our plan down. So that brings up a thought and thought is this. Sometimes I think I know what I want, Mm -hmm. but what I really want is hidden from me. And sometimes it takes some really good questions for me to kind of go, oh, yeah. So a good example would be when I ask people, you know, so when you get a new job, what's the most important thing? They go, uh, salary. So really, oh, that makes perfect sense. You know, salary's got to be right. But how important is learning in this new job? That's really important. More important than salary? Yep. How about the team you work with? How about your boss? All of a sudden they realize this thing that they thought was the most important is like six or seven down the list. So as you're negotiating, how do you get people to sometimes get their own realization that, holy crap, what well, my mission truly is, is this? Mm-hmm. Well, so think think about it. If you're truly in a negotiations, they want you, you know, you're, you're, if you've gotten to that point. So really what we got to look at is what's the difference between selling and negotiations? A lot of what you're talking about in that questioning discovery process, whatever that might be, the better you are there, the more that reduces any kind of negotiations at the end. So if you ask those questions up front, you start to learn and you start to uh, read, map out, start to understand what that person's going to want, if anything, when it comes to the end. And it also helps us to, to discover what is going to be our positions and how we're going to deal with it when somebody tries to negotiate against us. So, so your, your curiosity your ability to ask those questions to get prepared is going to be able to help you leverage any of those points later on. Because if you skinny that process up, now all of a sudden, now you start dealing with the negotiation points or the things that they're coming out and you never even knew. 
So one of the things you said uh, as you started this last part of the discussion is when other people negotiate against us, and a lot of times uh, is negotiate with us. So tell me about the, because mm-hmm. most people think is you're my enemy and it's against. So how do you get people <laughs> to realize the best negotiations are when you can get people on the same side of the table looking at the issue from the same side? Yeah. So let me ask you this, Umar. Would you negotiate harder or softer with somebody that you had a good relationship with? Softer, of course. And if they were really attractive, even more softer. <laughs> well said. Well said. So so that's it. So when, when in, in the book and when we talk about negotiations, we talk about sources of leverage, sources of leverage. And one of those major sources of leverage is your ability to create rapport, create trust through that process. And that is the process of getting on the same page with each other. And I'm sure, Umar, you've always heard, hey, you always, after the win-win, after the win-win. Of course, the, the, the thing that I, that I mentioned with whenever somebody brings that up and it comes up all the time is I said, well, yeah, but please understand that's an outcome, right? That's kind of like saying, oh, we're, we're, we're after a mutual agreement. We're after a mutual agreement. We're after the business or what have you. Well, that's an outcome. What's your process? If you can define your process through that and, and building rapport through that is one of them, then if you're doing that right, you're considered that trusted advisor. They're not looking at you as an adversary and neither are you. Absolutely. And I think really defining what winning means, because I truly believe that most of the time we don't know what the frick we're talking about. Like we have a <laughs> sense of it. Like I'll mm-hmm. give you a good example. I gave you that wage example, like how important wages are compensation. But when you really look at it, you realize not so much. And sometimes we get a hold of, I'm going to hold up a pen here, righteousness. Like it's the principle mm-hmm. of a thing. And this is what I really want. And it's like, okay, if you get that, what will that get you? Like what's underneath that? But you can only get there if you get into rapport with that person and get them to bring their guards down. Right. Well, so think about the, the concept of mirroring and matching, right? Think about the ability to be able to say, all right. um, And and, and this early in the book, the reason why I called the book negotiating from the inside out, is it starts with us. Where's the first negotiation? It starts internally with us, how we're wired towards that. And then um, most people, I think you're probably familiar with DISC, DISC communication styles, right? If I can I mirror- my match- the other day. <laughs> well, that probably was painful, right? So you're going to go get somebody to fix that. And hopefully it's a, it's a chiropractor that knows how to diagnose first before, before they give you any kind of uh, prescription. So Disc communication styles, if I can understand what kind of communication style you are, now I have the ability to be able to get on the same page with you and further that rapport, further that trust and get into that area that we're going to be on the same page as it relates to what we're trying to accomplish. I think people miss that. To me, if somebody says, oh yeah, you got to be a chameleon, you got to mirror and match. If you don't understand disc communication styles, I don't think you can really do it as well as you think you can. There's always deeper levels. I run the Baltimore Washington Institute of Neurolinguistic Programming. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the trainings, what I do is I say, find someone that has a totally opposite point of view on some issue. And it could be around abortion. So we want to pick hot wired topics where it's not like I'm um, for or against. It's like, and uh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Trump, don't like Trump. 
those really divisive issues and you get people that absolutely would not agree, then I say, okay, I want you to have a try and convince the other person to come on your side of the table. And of course, they have an argument for like five minutes, nobody agrees, and it's just further apart. Then I say, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to mirror and match and use gestures and really get into rapport and have that same discussion. And you know what? Nobody can get mad. Nobody can really get entrenched. So that connection human to human is really strong. And then I get people say, okay, agree on stuff that you passionately agree that uh, soccer is way better than football or whatever. And then I want you to take opposite body postures. And it's so hard for them to agree. So absolutely. Knowing DISC, Mm -hmm. figuring out how the communication style, using similar language, connecting gets you on the same page. So Clint, how do you get people to be on the same side of the table? Because when we're looking at you and me on either side, it's like, Clint, you SOB, but when you and I are on the same side looking at the problem together, then all of a sudden it takes the emotions out of it. So how do you get people to come on the same side when we look at the issue? How do you do that? Yeah, I think it's involvement. I think one of the things that if we try to create anything in a vacuum, then we are now presenting something to somebody else. And now the adversarial nature comes in and it could be highly emotional or it could not be, it could be highly intellectual. So one of the, one of the concepts I often teach my clients is it's called the partial prototype concept, right? Never take to somebody and go, Hey, look, Umar, look, I put the, I, I created this pen. It's, it's just absolutely perfect. It's got this, it's got that and stuff. And now What's our first initial reaction is it's not perfect. It could, it could be better. So it's called, it's called partial prototype. It's called fingerprinting, right? If I have an, an idea or a, or a concept or a service or a product that I want to see if it's going to be a good fit for you, if I can't get you adding to that and designing that, then now I'm just in a vacuum and I'm trying to push it onto you. But if I can get your involvement and now you've started to create it and help build upon it, guess who has ownership of it now, which is another source of leverage ownership. If I can get you with ownership of this, why would you end up negotiating against yourself when you were the one that helped designed it? So think ownership as it relates to whatever you're trying to do. And I love that concept of modeling. This is something I'm trying to create. What do you think? How do we make it better? So I'm going to take you to like one of the most uh, important negotiations. Uh, Like the Irish and the British have been at odds for a thousand years. And eventually they came to the table and they made peace. But it wasn't easy and it took a really long time. And some of those people hold on to grudges for centuries. So have you studied any of those negotiations that have been like uh, long-term, deeply entrenched Hatfields and McCoys? (laughs) I I would say I've I've read about them. Have I studied them? Um, No, I don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, um, that as you can imagine with writing this book, I try to get pulled into, okay, Clint, if you had five Democrats and five Republicans in the room that aren't agreeing, what would you do to try to negotiate those kind of things? And and, and there is a lot of books. There's a lot of academia books written about those kind of those kind of things. What I would say is, well, if you're going to be put in that room, you better have a process. You better have a system. And that's where I'm focusing more on the business aspects. So 
you know, I get asked a lot, hey, Clint, why'd you write this book? There's enough negotiation books out there. The thing that I see is there's a lot of books written and they're good stuff. Absolutely. Please read them. Um, Chris Voss uh, with uh, Negotiate, um, uh, Never Split the Difference. Awesome book. Great concepts and such. Where I want to drive it is, what do you deal with it when it's a business negotiations? How do you deal with that? And how do you deal with the differences there? And do you know what the gambits that are played in that kind of world? Do you know? Um, well, here's an example, Umar. Think about this in your world or some of the clients you work with. If I were to go into, a, into an organization and say, what are the top three to five gambits that are used against your organization when it comes time to negotiate? Do you think the sales team or the executive team could come up with the top three to five? I think they could. Do you think Absolutely. they have a yeah? Mm -hmm. Do you think they have a playbook, a system in place to be able to deal with that when they come up? They don't. They don't have that playbook, and that's where this really hones in: is giving them the playbook of how do you? What's your plays? If I can steal, if I can steal the playbook of somebody else, I can go. Oh wow, I recognize that negotiation. Here's my playbook for that. Now I got a better chance of being able to work through it because let's face it, people are, you know, what's the number one thing? Oh, your competition is cheaper, right? If they don't know how to deal with that, then you've got a discounting culture within your organization instead of a negotiation culture. Absolutely. Uh, kind of reminds me of a friend of mine, uh, an ex-boss of mine. We were Microsoft partners. We had hardware that created firewalls and protected systems. And there was another Microsoft partner that had some software that did that. So my boss went, I'm going to talk to those guys and get them to join our company, give up their company and join our company. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. you're a freaking idiot. Like, why would they ever <laughs> want to do that? And sure enough, within two months, they were part of our company. And they brought a lot of value. Mm -hmm. They became the CTO of our company. And so he saw a vision of, hey, we're chocolate, you're peanut butter. Together, we're going to actually kick ass. And I could not see that at all. And that's what negotiation is, I guess, seeing a solution that doesn't exist right now. Yeah, it, it, it is. And that's, the, and that's the whole one plus one equals three idea. And, and which goes to this. Think about, think about this. In that situation, if your boss would have pulled you in and had that discussion and then you got on board and you, you as a team strategized about it, what could it become and such? Now you're, now you're doing strategy work around then when he makes those calls and gets face to face and starts going through that. Now he's got the tactics that can follow the strategy. And that's part of it, too, is most people don't spend the time to have a, a strategy and see that that ultimate big picture. Because imagine I can only imagine the conversation that he had when he made those those phone calls and he didn't get into negotiation tactics. He probably talked big picture strategy. What could we become together? And that allowed that person to enter into those kind of conversations. And it it took its natural progression all the way through. And those are the wonderful things when you've got somebody that can think outside of the box and bring together two different things that's going to make a bigger op opportunity. It's called um, in negotiations, it's called create making a bigger pie, right? Think about it this way. Competitive negotiations, Umar, you and I, we've got a pie and we're all looking to get more pie than the other. 
right? And when we look at that, we, we look at it too small. We look at it too little because you're looking for your slice. I'm looking for my slice. Who's going to end up with what? Instead, your boss said, well, forget that. Let's just make a bigger pie. So it's specifically called pie negotiations when you come together and you say, you know something, let's just make the pie bigger. And that's where I think your boss really headed down that path. So there's this organization called the National Speakers Association. And I said, Kevin Roberts was the founder when speaking wasn't really an industry. So he was at the forefront and he had this really weird psychotic concept that we're not going to split the pie. We're going to make the pie bigger. And I know how to do this. And if you join my organization, Clint, I'm going to share everything I know on how to be a great speaker and how to build my business. And so this guy is dead and buried. But if you go to any NSA chapter and you find someone that's making a million dollars in his speaking career and you got a newbie, the person who's the uh, successful person is going to open up his playbook because he's going to share emails. And he created this culture of making the pie bigger that transcended his life. So I think, yeah, absolutely. If we can actually get that mindset of how do we grow this. So now, Clint, I'm going to ask you a question and this is going to put you on the hot seat. Are you ready? Let's have it. Are you married? Yes. So tell me, Clint, about having, uh, you don't need to go into the details, having an argument with your wife and having all these amazing skills and either a not using them or using them and feeling guilty for outthinking her. What's reality like for you when it comes down to that <laughs> personal stuff? Well, she, she's in the other room, so she's going to hear me. Should I pull her in and we can have a, a dual conversation? <laughs> um here, here's the thing, um, and you're going to find this surprising. Um, we rarely, if ever, argue. Rarely. Uh, 22 years this June. 22 years this June. Oh, and and, and uh, if anybody ever, you can look me up on LinkedIn. You can shoot me a note said, hey, I hear you guys ra rarely ever argue. I'm calling BS, and I'll have my wife get on the phone with them and have a conversation. And here's why is we is we both know communication is cause and effect. Communication is cause and effect. So therefore an argument is caused by one of us causing something and then an effect happening. If you get an effect you don't like or you weren't expecting, you caused it. So when I do that and I say something not appropriate or wrong, and, and it's all tonality, right? You know NLP. It's not what I said. It was how I said it because of my emotions at that certain point. I have two choices at that point. I can either continue on and now we're in a discussion, which I've long since choose not to because it's not going to end up well. And it's just causes stress and stuff. Instead, I got to rewind it and I got to ask her permission if I can restate that and just put it in a different way. And when I do that, it saves us so much time and energy and effort. So it's that emotional quotient that picks in. And I don't... I. I, I get asked a lot of time, especially in my Sandler career, hey, do you turn that stuff off at home when you get in your garage? I'm like, what stuff? What do you mean? You know, really what we're teaching is human relations and communications. And if I've got to try to do something to somebody, I, I'm probably approaching it in the wrong way. So, um, so I hope I answered your question that we don't, we, you know, we don't really get into that. Now it's fun when her and I are facing a situation and we get to team up because she's sharp as, as all get out and, um, she'll be able to help, help strengthen anything that I would do. Brilliant. Cause I think, uh, very much at the end of the day, it comes down to making it a way of life. If you are negotiating or connecting or communicating what is what we're really doing in a mm -hmm. way that gives you so much reward. 
and so much better outcomes, then it just becomes something you naturally do because that's the human instinct. If you have to do something, you've still got this uh, set of beliefs that are actually dictating who you are. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about when I can respect you as a human being, whether I agree with you or not, and connect with your humanity, it allows us to go on that journey together. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. And and in and our, and our Sandler business, we call it uh, being a product of the product. And that's all human relations and communication skills. So Clint, before we part company today, I want to ask you uh, a question. And the question is, what is your favorite mind hack? That little shortcut you use to get better results. I'll give you an example of one of those. It's sometimes I use the, we stole it from the Christians. What would Jesus do? It's like in negotiations, I might go, what would Clint do in this situation? And I get an insight that I wouldn't have had without thinking that thought that allows me to kind of just solve this problem. Is there a mindset hack that you use to be more productive or connect better or just show up strong, more strongly in what you do? What's your favorite mind hack? Well, yeah, I, I'll give you two real quick. Number one, I'm an over-preparer. That, that helps me to make sure that whatever I'm going into, I've got you know, I am ready for it. But really in the, in the situation, my mind hack is slow it down, slow down things. Um, Cause things tend to happen pretty quickly in a conversation, in a sales call, in a, in underneath pressure. So my number one mind hack there is, Hey, I, you know, and, and this is my term that you use, Hey, hold on a second. Hey, can we, can we back up a moment? A little bit and that's my my terminology to get things to to slow down and then i can either continue down that thought or redirect it because we're going in a, in an unhealthy area of some kind or an area that just we need to to put it on pause so my mind hack is if i can slow that movie down if i can slow that down it gives us all a chance to 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 respond better than we would react. And that has helped me tremendously to think, look, time is a source of leverage also. Time that we're looking to do something, time that we have with people. And I'm always looking to make that a source of, of, of leverage that, hey, if I can slow things down here, then I can speed things up later. But too often we try to rush things way too fast before things are really ready and that has saved me a, a ton of time. It sounds kind of weird. So Clint, what you're telling me is you slow things down and it saves you a ton of time. You betcha. Absolutely. Because I don't get caught into the rush sometimes that people are looking for. Brilliant. Clint, thank you so much for being on the program. I learned a lot. I took some notes. Can't wait to have you on the show again. Hey, Omar, thank you so much for inviting me. Really appreciate it. I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 